Our sermon text this morning comes from Matthew 6. We talked earlier about Christ coming and doing what he came to do, bringing justice and mercy to bear, and this is it. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is born and then grows up and is baptized and tempted and gathers his disciples and then immediately begins teaching. And this is what he says. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room And shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. If you were not here uh, last week, we started a series um, on the Lord's Prayer and... uh, I'll continue it next week, but uh, we're, uh, we're looking at the last half of that prayer where Jesus says, give us, uh, give us this day our daily bread, and then uh, forgive us um, our debts as we forgive our debtors, and then uh, lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us from evil. So that the last three petitions we'll look at uh, today. Uh, last week, just by way of a quick review, I, I said that this prayer is really the embodiment of of that great line from the book of Proverbs that says that the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's an embodiment of a genuine fear of God in the best possible sense of, of that phrase. And that we're, it's an embodiment of saying, I am all in. Uh, when you pray, you're really saying, Lord, I'm in. I, I, I want what you have declared to be important. And I'm all in. And so I uh, would pray, and uh, your your fellowship group leader is praying, uh, the leadership of this church is praying that we would become a people of prayer. What a great subject to start off uh, 2012. So uh, uh, I'm excited for this text. So would you join me uh, in prayer today? Father, I uh, thank you for your faithfulness to our congregation here, this gathering of people from so many different backgrounds and uh, personalities and perspectives. And Lord, you bring us together and you make us your people. And so uh, in this moment now, we pray you will uh, enter into this moment and uh, we would cast aside our fears and we would explore your goodness and the privilege it is to know you. 
Father, help us to uh, say honestly where we may be trafficking in unlived truth. And help us move in action uh, with you as our God of mission. And we thank you. Uh, We thank you that you're with us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Uh, Amen. Uh, I hope you are encouraged as you start off this new year. Uh, And so uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, just by way of uh, an overview, uh, from the hand of God, you'll find there on the the sermon page there, your outline, uh, from the hand of God, we receive what our bodies need, uh, Jesus and that prayer of thanking God for our daily bread. And then from the grace of God, notice this, we receive a peaceable spirit, and then that whole whole cry of the heart, Lord, forgive us our debts. And, And so that peaceable spirit is really central to this prayer. And then thirdly, through the triumph of God, Jesus rising from the dead, uh, he's king, he's Lord, we know that that's his status in this world and and in the universe. From the triumph of God, listen to this, we receive the desire to overcome evil. Uh, It is a prayer, these subjects, I want you to be encouraged, they are, if you are a Christian, these desires are latent within you. They are within you. They come uh, with the new nature to cry out to, to God as your father, to begin to think in terms of plural, uh, to move away from self and to others. The whole idea that you would be kingdom-minded, uh, the whole idea that you'd care about the will of God, all these subjects are actually part and parcel. The categories themselves are within you. And so I want you to be encouraged with that. And one of the interesting things, just by way of a, an op- opening comment, is that there's, th- there's six petitions in this prayer. And as Eugene Peterson comments, he's a, a theologian and author, he says that the real link between the, the first three petitions, hallowed be your name, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, Uh, On earth as it is in heaven. It's that that phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, that actually connects the first three with the last three. You might find that interesting. And and note that heaven and earth, the direction of history, here's where it's going, is heaven and earth are going to come together. Uh, There is going to be a time in which that which we, with our spiritual imaginations, see what's going on in heaven. We're going to see that finally, physically, in a concrete way, that kingdom up there is going to merge and, and create the, a kingdom down here. That's actually how we are to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And it's not enough for us as believers to know the will of God is being done in heaven. It's, it's now we say, now penetrate this dark experience down here. And this is the goal. This is how we're to pray. It's a brave prayer. It's courageous. Uh, it's, it's sort of that we, we see our personal distresses. We see our, our problems and difficulties and hardships, but we know there's a place of purity where things are making sense, where the holiness of God is, is adored, and we, we have this vision of heaven as we gather. We, we, um, the songs you've already sung this morning are telling us, what a day, what, what a glorious day that Jesus has started, and heaven is celebrating it like, like you just really uh, beyond our, our, our understanding. But what we do understand, we want this heavenly experience to penetrate uh, our earth. And so uh, 
from the hand of God, let's just, just to get us started, from the hand of God, we receive what our bodies need. It's the shortest petition in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, I often, often wonder why it's so short, because I have lots of other things to eat than bread. Uh, I'm sure you do as well, but it summarizes all that our bodies need. It summarizes God's fatherly care for us. And just as our earthly father thought of us and cared for us and provided for us, so our heavenly father does this as well. But it's, it's quite remarkable for us in this first world uh, experience, in, in the Western world, how affluent we are, how, uh, how many choices we have for food, and how, in fact, food is a problem for us. It's, we, have, we have the overchoice and our inability to control our appetite. Uh, first in line on that one. Uh, and we, we have this struggle with, with consumption, and we have too much, too much going in, over, overloading our system. And it's a humble prayer, Lord, give us enough. Now, we often, uh, well, we should think about those who are not in our scenario, who do not have the privileges and opportunities that we have by way of our food. And our choices are extraordinary. The amazing choices we have just going to the supermarket. Um, but it is, it is a prayer that says, Lord, I am aware that this cereal, this piece of toast, uh, this this uh, glass of uh, Pinot Noir, whatever you enjoy, it's, I didn't, I'm not behind it. It really does come from your good hand. And it's very important we pray before a meal and to reflect on that this comes not from uh, some UPS truck or some delivery at some grocery store and, and, and how distant we are from from the grain, the grain fields, from the dairy, uh, from from dairy farms, from seeing how this actually is produced, and 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 then we still can't quite see into God's hand behind it. How does wheat grow? How does it know when to grow? How 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 does it? It's a mystery. We can we could uh, we can explain many many things, but it's really quite extraordinary. But it is a prayer of God's heavenly care. For us, and we shouldn't minimize it. I remember Marianne and I uh, were traveling across Japan, and we were visiting a foreign exchange student that we we got to know. This was a while back, a long time ago, when I was in the, in the youth pastor in the eighties. And uh, I remember this trip we took uh, on the bullet train. Uh, we were heading to this uh, high school student's house and traveling across Japan on the bullet train, which is the only Japanese word I know: shinkansen. Not bad, huh? I actually walked into a Japanese class here at Trinity Christian School, and the instructor, at that moment, I was walking around in the back here, um, at that moment, she said, Shinkansen. And I said, bullet train. And then I walked out of the room. I thought that was amazing. (laughs) She was quite impressed. And then she came up and talked to me in Japanese, and then I had to admit that was the only word I knew. So... But in Japan, we we came to this house, and what what happened to us on that trip was... On the bullet train, a hamburger cost $28. Uh, I mean, it's crazy how expensive it was. We didn't have any food traveling with us. We, we travel all day long, and uh, I'm one. Some of you are get busy with work, and you miss a meal. I, I'm, I don't do that. So, so I'm aware. Uh, when I get hungry, I'm just aware I'm hungry. Well, I'm, how are you? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And so it, it, it presses in on me, and it, it, it affects everything about me. So... 
And so it has been all day long, and we arrive at this house about 8 o'clock at night. And it's, it's, it's just, uh, I remember life according to meals. I don't know what that's about. But we walk into this house, and he was a, a university professor. And so they had put together, his wife had put together, not knowing, oh, you've got these Westerners coming. Do they like Japanese food? Well, maybe we should prepare Western food. And, and uh, there's just two of us and two of them and then their son. There's five of us, and they had food for, for 25 people. And there was a whole Western section, and then there was a whole Japanese section of food. And tempuras and all that. And, and, and I remember going to bed and sleeping and re- realizing that my experience in this world, is this you as well, my experience in this life, is way beyond just a simple slice of bread, uh, a, a, a bowl of rice with maybe a little slice of fish in it. My life, I, I, am, over, I am taken care of so well. Can we return thanks to our God? I was in Mexico, was a Mexico youth trip, and we went, uh, I, I went early in the morning and purchased a bunch of um, dinner rolls. They called them boillos, and they're good for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I bought a whole bunch for this traveling youth group. It was about 5.30, 6 in the morning. I was like the first one in line to get in line to this bakery because I knew these were really good, and I wanted each of these kids to experience this, this Mexican bread. And as I walked out, and I had like 80, 80 of these dinner rolls, you know, and I saw the poor in Mexico, lined up to buy one or two, maybe. And inside I shuddered a bit. Because for, for me, the purchase was just uh, an additional thing. We had plenty of food for our group, you see. It was just an additional experience in Mexican cuisine. But for these poor in Mexico, it was vital for their daily sustenance. Remember this. It's in the center of Christ's prayer for us. Remember that everything you enjoy is from your Father's good love and his good hand toward you. Remember it. It's in the center of the prayer that we are to pray regularly. And it's really interesting as you move into verse 12 now. Forgive us our debts. I I love how relational uh, conflict issues is really the center of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, forgive us our, our debts. And, and it, you certainly could apply this to your relationship with God, that, Lord, I owe you love, I owe you obedience. And you could do that. But it's really connected to our relationships because it keeps going. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, meaning that we are in a relationship with many, many people. Some are family, some are co-workers, some are neighbors. Uh, And what we owe them, what we owe them is dignity, honor, respect, uh, patience, uh, love, kindness, long-suffering. I'm giving you Galatians 5.22. We owe them uh, forbearance, uh, we, we shouldn't prejudice ourselves against them. That means that we sort of write them off, and you know that's just who they are. Colossians 3.12 puts it this way. Put on compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's the goal of the prayer here. Lord, forgive me, forgive us our debts, because we owed foremost, at the top of the list, we owed love. And odds are, unless you're really, really spiritual, you didn't give out love. You gave out some condemnation. You gave out some, uh, some disappointment. You had a way, a, a reason to, to say, I don't have to love you now that you've violated one of my rules, right? And so at the, at the, at the heart of the prayer is a deep uh, connection to our relationships, and it's really interesting how the prayer, the prayer kind of gets you. It kind of comes in the side door. Forgive us our debts as we, as we. Uh, this is a behavior I'm engaged in. Uh, Lord, uh, I need a fresh uh, flow of your grace. And I think that's really what's going on here. Is this, is, this is what's happening. Is that when you cry out to God, forgive me, what you're really crying out for is renewal of the heart, and then you're going to have a new experience of the gospel. Jesus Christ is going to be sufficient for that sin, and you're going to have an experience of his sufficiency. And so when you cry out, forgive me, what's actually happening there is not sort of this self-loathing and a kind of a penance, and you're kind of, you know, really, really down on yourself, but what's happening is you're seeing in a new way that there are reserves in the gospel, in the cross, God has an abundance of forgiveness that is unending. And you see, now you, you are aware that you can now extend this to others. I use the illustration that God, uh, when God asks you to forgive other people, it's like you are under Niagara Falls uh, with a Dixie cup, little cup. God has poured his grace out on you, and that's Niagara Falls. And what he asks of you is to extend a Dixie cup to someone else. Can you do that? And the answer is, of course. And the the flow of God's good, forgiving grace toward us is extraordinary. Now, one of the troubles here um, is, uh, even though there have been some riots in malls recently, uh, one of the troubles that we experience is the proximity... uh, to people. What happens in relationships is it's, you usually don't get into conflict with strangers. Can we all agree with that, right? Even though we've had like the, the Nike thing, and I don't know if you saw that, and people pushing and shoving each other for a pair of tennis shoes, uh, total strangers fighting over something, right? But, but it's, it's usually proximity. It's, it's closeness. It's being close in your fellowship group. It's your family, the proximity. There's three of you trying to use the toaster at once in bre- at breakfast in the kitchen. It's proximity. Uh, you're all loving and kind when it comes to using the bathroom, right? You're also patient. And you're all concerned about their use of the bathroom, correct? Everybody, right? You're, all just, it's, it, you're, you're very others-centered when it comes to how you live and your, as your family, right? You see how it is? It's proximity. It's closeness to people. Now, church doesn't work. It, it really can't work unless God is in it. Uh, it, it 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we, it's a supernatural thing to have fellowship with one another. Uh, otherwise, we would, uh, well, it would be just a bad scene. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
proximity, closeness in church, closeness in family, closeness in work, leads to the need to forbear and to forgive. And so, uh, why do we hold grudges? Because we want them to pay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than a good grudge, right? I mean, you're right. You have this whole council going on in your head. You you haven't really prayed about it. You haven't really gone before God with it. You are the judge and jury. It's all happening right there. And a grudge... uh, Anger toward someone in the body of Christ. Uh, It's very difficult to pray when you're angry. And so this is this beautiful connection between our relationships and our need for prayer and to keep short accounts not only with God but with each other. Uh, Grudges, holding, holding something against someone else is serious Stuff. I, I want to w- w- warn you uh, that it is the place where uh, uh, where great sin can flow from that. Uh, and I w- w- this is a beautiful prayer for us to be reminded that within us is the capacity to condemn, the capacity to write off, the capacity to do evil relationally. Okay? So it's a cry, Lord, I'm extending the grace. Forgive me. I need your continued strength to be relationally connected to others. Um, and so of all the possible subjects Jesus includes right here in this prayer, it is a prayer that our relationships are fundamentally forgiving and gracious. Now, the third idea is the triumph of God we receive, uh, through the triumph of God, we receive the desire to overcome evil. I love this phrase, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I love it because it is a, it is a real, uh, realistic acknowledgement of the, of the condition of not only our hearts, but the condition we have in this world. It is a world of testings a place of trials. Lead us not into temptation. And I want to unpack this a bit because I think there's two ways uh, that we would look at temptation. First of all, there's sort of the general kind of everyday stuff, the things that everybody deals with. Uh, we're, We're all tempted in various ways, all right? And I want to suggest that this, this particular request is not about general uh, temptation. I want to suggest to you that this is a very uh, heartfelt prayer about uh, our inward sinfulness and our proclivities, the fleshly proclivities, the, the bent of our heart where we would be most weak if, we, if, if circumstances came our way, we would fall. We know our weakness, and we would fall. And that's why we are asked, deliver me from evil. Deliver us from evil. What's going on here? When you look at the Bible, you have the discussion of general temptations, various Bible texts, etc. 1 Corinthians 10.13 comes to mind, uh, that God provides a way of escape through 
through temptation. Uh, but what's interesting about the New Testament is particularly the Gospels highlight how Jesus was going to enter into his hour of, te- of testing, his hour of temptation. We know that it would culminate in all the spiritual forces of evil and wickedness pressing down upon him in Gethsemane. And the biblical writers, the gospel writers, describe this as his hour. It's the moment when the forces of evil are most powerful and they're taking advantage of an experience of weakness. And I would suggest to you, and I'm borrowing from uh, the great Puritan John Owen at this point, that temptation can come and it is most powerful, vigorous, active, and prevalent. It produces a restlessness in you. There's a desire to just chase after that, that, that sin and to, to love that evil. It, evil presents itself as something good. It presents itself as something reasonable, something that would, sure, this might work out for you. Yes, you can do this, and you, you'll, be okay. you'll be okay. It presents its reasonings, and it is powerful, and it comes at that moment when you least expected it, but it has arrived. John 13, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be going away. I'm leaving you, and uh, Peter says in John 13, 36, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Then Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter, remember that? And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. One of the uh, evidences uh, that people who defend the scriptures use uh, to prove that it's, it's very reasonable to think that the Bible is inspired is who would ever write and include in the Gospels the weakness and the failure of humans the disciples don't look very good, do they, as the cross approaches? And Peter is the one who boasted so greatly of his devotion. But Peter denies his Lord. What was hidden, what was hidden from Peter that he couldn't see? What couldn't he see about himself? Peter had never really been left alone. He had never really needed to pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. He didn't ever, we don't really have a record of him praying like that. He couldn't see his need, and so he was not really one who prayed against the hour of temptation. He had never really been called upon to follow Jesus by himself. He was always in a group, and he did pretty well in a group. He covered over his deep weakness with boasting. And, uh, In the moment of his testing, in the hour of his temptation, he was able to just deny with words 
the reality that he was a follower of Jesus. And so evil appeared to him as something reasonable and something that would save him. Evil was going to work for him. And so he denied his Lord on the night that Christ was tried and was delivered over to the authorities. What I want to say to you is this. I want to ask you, do you pray like this? Do you pray, Lord, I know my weakness. And I would ask that you would deliver me from this evil. I ask that you would not lead me into circumstances that would be where evil takes advantage of me. Evil from the outside, evil from the inside. You see, what Peter was willing to do when he denied with words that he was a follower of Jesus, he was willing to fabricate a fiction. And this is what evil is. Evil really is a falsehood pretending to be real. It's what perhaps a financial institution might do by crunching the numbers to pretend to present a falsehood. What does Jesus do here? He, he has us cry out, Father, I would engage in a fictional world if you don't protect me and help me. I would call evil good. I would live in a falsehood and I would pursue it as if I could be saved from this evil itself. Peter needed to see how deep his love was for himself alone. Peter's love as a disciple, he looked like one who was willing to follow Jesus. He looked like one who was a tough guy. He looked like one who could resist the crowd. He was always telling the crowd what to do, even telling Jesus what to do at times. He seemed bold, but the ultimate motivation of Peter up to that point of his denial was really self-love. And it's interesting that this subject of love is what Jesus comes after in, in the end of John's gospel when he meets Peter on the beach and he restores Peter to ministry and he asks him. He doesn't say, Peter, are you tough? Peter, are you strong? Peter, are you committed? Peter, are you? He says, Peter, do you love me? And you see, what the gospel is at its core is a displacement of our inward self-love and it's a drawing us out of ourselves by the love of God. And it's the love of God that cries out, deliver me from my propensity, my proclivity, my desire toward evil. And Lord, if the circumstances came my way, I would cave. Oh, what a church it would be that we would pray like this openly, boldly, courageously and have non-believers watch far from being hypocrites far from being two-faced we would be genuinely crying out the prayer our father has taught us to pray through his son deliver us lord the evil is in he- the evil is in here 
We, the church, particularly in America, we are known to lambast the culture, to lament the condition of our country, and there are, there's much to say, and there is much evil. That's true. But imagine a church that really takes this to heart. Lord, I am weak, and do not lead me to the hour of such a temptation. And so we've seen... Just briefly, the need for gratitude, the need for gratitude for, for bread, the need for relational grace, and now for what we can call spiritual watchfulness. Say. May these prompt you to pray. May these prompt us to become a people of prayer as a church. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will cause us to say that we are all in. We're all in. This is, this is so good. Father, thank you for the fellowship of the church that we can speak this prayer among friends and we can grow in grace and we can be your people on a mission. Thank you for the anticipation we have in our hearts that you will hear us as our good heavenly Father. And so we pray. All these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.